0: I'd just like to encourage people to dream really, really big. because um, you can change the world. I mean, I was living under a railway bridge at the age of 14, and now millions of people can see. That's a good story.
1: Holding my head again, making my way through crowded thoughts. Sometimes it's hard to get out of it.
2: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Please Blow My Mind. I'm not sure where to start, actually, because when you talk about someone like Sir Ray Avery, where do you start? That's the question. Where do you start? What achievements do we celebrate? Do we celebrate the fact that he has a somewhat rags to riches story, being a street kid, living under a railway station, or do we celebrate the fact that he has gone on to, you know, influence thousands of lives through science through this Insatiable desire to serve, or do we even highlight the fact that a huge part of his journey is to find love in his life and to be loved? I think we celebrate the whole lot because that's what we can do. That's what we should do. We should look at this whole system as a multifaceted, interweaved. Plethora <laughs> of intenseness, and that probably summarizes my podcast in its current form. It is definitely weaving concepts, ideas, philosophies, willosophies um, philosophies together. So, in that nature, I bring you Sir Ray Avery on the podcast. But just before we start, two quick little adverts one to the Manava breathing beautiful system that is Myotape, now this is a tape that gets placed around your mouth not over your mouth whilst you sleep or whilst you chill out to encourage nasal breathing now this is quite a revolutionary product because well one, nasal breathing is the key to lowering anxiety to breathing in a more functional way, the problem is most of us are mouth breathers and we breathe too quickly by default because of our busy world but our ancestors breathe nasally so if we breathe nasally and you'll hear me breathe through my nose on this podcast from time to time like now it does a couple things it slows our breathing it gives a bit more resistance because we're enacting the filter that is the nose the beauty of the nose long story short myotape helps you keep that mouth closed so we don't Breathe through the mouth. If you'd like to learn more, I highly, I highly encourage you to visit the Manava Breathing Instagram page and click on the Shopify link there to find out more about Manava Breathing. So this podcast is also proudly supported by the folks at Be Pure. Now I have a bit of an inside running having a podcast. I know the founder of Be Pure, Ben Warren. In fact, he's a guest on this podcast in the next episode and let me tell you we have a harm of a conversation talking about multi-nutrients talking about the meaning of life talking about the deepness of life be pure is an awesome company who have started sending me be pure product Um, so that I can keep my micronutrients on point. You'll hear much more about this in this podcast. Let me just tell you a couple awesome things about B-Pure. So B-Pure 1 is the ultimate multivitamin for all your nutritional needs. B-Pure 2, a powerful probiotic for gut health. B-Pure 3, a high-strength DHP EPA fish oil for your essential omega-3 fats. Plus, each pack comes with a free 30-day change challenge to set your new wellness routine up for success all products have be pure signature traits of high quality high strength bioavailable ingredients to truly support and transform your wellness so there you go folks be if you want to get on that be pure train and look just on a personal note highly recommend it the research is is becoming overwhelming that this micronutrient conversation is the conversation and we will talk about that more on this podcast but for now we jump into the podcast with sir ray avery thank you sir ray for blowing my mind and let me say thank you to the audience for blowing my mind and thank you to me for blowing my mind
1: bringing out the fire bring on all the lightning because i Looking for a hero Look inside the mirror i find find one Oh, carry yeah, the hurt When it gets too hard Pick it up, dust it off When I fall down 11 I get up 12 Don't need nobody else Yeah, I can save myself
2: Okay, well, this is the moment where, you know, professional broadcasters know how to drive a conversation, yet we're on a podcast. And there's something about, uh, I guess, letting the conversation go. But the problem is, Sir Ray, when I look at someone like yourself in that bio, it's like, wow, where do you start? And actually, that is a good question. Where do you start? So so maybe we do start like at the beginning and and you as a, as a youngster and what the kind of hopes and dreams were for you, what were the hopes and dreams that your family had for you? It's something I think about often. Um, is that something you had a good chance to think about where, where it began
0: oh well I guess I um, there's a there's a there's a you know I, when I look at doing these kind of interviews I think um, what would I like to, like to leave behind you know it's not about me really it's just about um, telling people uh, a particular journey which may help them to do things better in their life or make their life better and so there's a wonderful um metaphor that says um, if you put potatoes into boiling water um, they will soften and if you put eggs into boiling water they will harden. Mm. So it's not the environment it's it's the actual substrate of the thing. And that really goes back to me because I was abused as a kid in orphanages uh, for the first 14 years of my life. My mum, being unconscious, ended up in hospital. Um, and I wouldn't recommend it to most people, but that annealing made me hard as fucking nails. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, um, I learned through the rest of the journey of my life how to use my acumen and my skills to make a difference in the world. And the, the going back to that, the reason for that was I needed to do that. I needed to make sense of all that violence and all that horrible stuff that had gone on and do something with my life because I had survived. A lot of my contemporaries didn't. Most of my people that were in the orphanages and the halfway houses with me ended up in prison or committed suicide. And I got out of there and I was very fortunate um, to get back into the education system, get a good education, and then I could go on life but I'm always going to be rooted I guess in that beginning phase you know I didn't have a silver spoon Um, so I have a much more greater affection for people I guess in the low socioeconomic status because I want to help them get to wherever they want to go so um, that's the key message that I have is that you're not determined by your history you're determined by the you know really
2: The old size of the dog. That's wow! (laughs) Absolutely, and and wow, this just taken me for a second because, I, you know, obviously that's the thing about not working for a broadcaster. You'd have researchers who would tell you all these things. And I have to kind of hear that in real time because when you Google somebody, obviously it's just a few things that come up. But, but okay, okay. So, you know, one of the things maybe to pick up on is um, I'm kind of the opposite to you, like in some ways, like I had the upbringing, which was not like that. So, look, I don't want to compare anything, but I will say that I've been on the other side of that trying to think how, where is that energy I can turn into something you know I've spent a lot of my life just being it'll be okay it'll be okay because I haven't had I haven't been forced to kind of deal with um, you know maybe that abyss or something metaphorical like that so so I, I guess the other thing I realize is is that we're all on some type of similar journey in some ways right and where are we going like when you say you want to you know you um, Maybe I'm just paraphrasing, but some type of leave a pathway towards meaning or happiness. What is that? Because I I think about it all the time. What are we heading towards if we're moving towards something?
0: Well, that's a very good point because I think um, we need a reason for being, you know, um, in terms of us as a humanity. Um, And I think one of the big issues for me was learning what that meant in terms of You know, originally uh, when I got out of the orphanages, I felt that I Uh, survived, and I needed to be loved. I actually needed to be loved because I've never been loved by my parents Mm. or I've been abused and tricked in all sorts of circumstances. And I thought if I could be respected and loved by as many people as possible uh, and being rich was important because if I was rich, I wouldn't be in that low socioeconomic thing. And I ended up setting up a few laboratories and making a a small fortune and I was driving around in sports cars in Paris in the rain, uh, taking girls for hotel trips in, in New York, with my mate who was a, um, a uh, airline um, uh, marketer, and um, and I thought that would make me happy, mm-hmm. you know. So I've done that. The you know the sex and drugs and rock and roll stuff early on I got that out of the way, um, but it, I thought it would make me happy you know being loved by as many women as I could and um, at the end of the day it was very complicated and remembering the names and the travel was just shocking and so uh, it what didn't make me happy in the end and I realised that wasn't the nirvana that I was looking for and it took me a long time to actually work out that the big trick in life is to learn how to love people. And if you get to that point uh, and think I'm privileged because probably 90% of the world is living in poverty. And so my job is to use the, and, and that goes back to you, segues back to you, and that's why you feel because you've got the ability to make a difference. So you, you choose to do that. Mm-hmm. And if we all did that, it would be a fantastic world. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to go through my grist to get to a point of grace where you think I should make a difference. Um, and we've got a lot of social problems in New Zealand, but if every New Zealander got behind and said, we're going to fix this, we're going to fix the 20% of kids who go to school hungry. But it's not... Necessarily just a government's problem, it's all about problems, it's a society problem. Um, so I get up every day and trying to make the world a better place. So I want to be able to go out when the coffin's been and and say, Well, I've done something. And so it's very challenging because you you know, uh, you know, this probably, um, if you believe Dr. Sandhuik Ruit from the Nepal, um, eye program, that by the time my youngest daughter is my age, 100 million people have had their site restored with the technology they put into this, that one laboratory. But in fact, I developed technology for about four or five lamps around the world. So millions of people can see because I got out of bed. And you would probably think, well, that's fine. You've done it. You know, why don't you just go off to Fiji and have a bit of a, a bit of a gin and tonic in the sun? Uh, but really, um, I'm still just getting started. I really do want to change the world. And that's why we're having this conversation, because if you can inspire somebody else. And so I think the great the, the stuff is really about the fact that, Don't – if you're a Maori guy and you're, uh, you know, um, you look at somebody like you know, our wonderful film director who's um, gone on to change the world in terms of a Maori guy making it good. We've got good Maori actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not defined by your past. Um, and I'd just like to encourage people to dream really, really big because um, you can change the world. I mean, I was living mm-hmm. under a railway bridge at the age of 14 and now millions of people can see. That's a good story, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but it's only get, just getting started. Um, but we need to all work together too. if we all got up, I mean, I think what's happened with society is that we've become obsessed with the mechanics of society and by that I mean um, we invest a lot of time and money in making all of the retail kind of uh, marketing things work or, um, you know, all the housing things. But we've lost the plot in terms of uh, looking after our, our people and our society, mm-hmm. and if we could actually put the same amount of energy and visceral into those kind of things, we would, we would have a society we can be proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, but sadly, New Zealand leads the world with domestic violence. Um, we've got the highest teen suicide rate in the world. Now, that statement is actually, you know, really, Gets to me every day. I mean, I've had two of my best friends in my life commit suicide, so I know more than most what that feels like. But if you look at the graph, the graph goes like this this is Greece down here, and New Zealand goes way up here. So we're like, Ten times to eighteen times more likely to commit suicide with our young kids. So something's wrong with the way that we've evolved as a society. And I think the first thing to do about that is to um, accept it and try and work out how to how to fix it.
2: Yeah. Look, um, I, I. It's so hard for me to believe don't get me wrong, I believe the statistic that we lead the world in youth suicide but it's hard for me to wrap my head around because I don't know that side of New Zealand you know, I'm I'm like uh, so my makeup is half Cook Island my mum's from and my dad's Kiwi you know, and so I don't know if I lucked it or I'm just whatever oh, else. It,
0: but. Well, no, it's, it's probably just to interject. And my wife yeah. does this all the time. She says, sorry to interject. <laughs> 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 um, but um, I think there's a bit of a clue there. If you go to um, uh, the Cook Islands um, and you go to Fiji and you go to Nepal, there is this huge uh, intrinsic family-based thing. And I think what's happened in New Zealand, we're losing that kind of that, that metric um, and but these other countries um, if you go to a, a, a house in Nepal or India you'll see the house is three stories tall and grandma lives in the bottom one, the next part of the family lives in the next one and the youngest people live in the top one and they look after each other and that's the same in the Cook Islands. I mean, if you walk down a street in Fiji somebody's going to say you know uh, because they, they actually are a cohesive and what, we've, what we're what we struggling with in New Zealand is coming from, so you you got it in, in places like Fiji and and Cook Islands. You've got a collective society, which. Um believes in the goodness of, of all of the community and everybody's responsible so people and also you know people, you can have roadside stalls and nobody's going to steal anything you know because it's just the way we are um, but in New Zealand we're making a transformation between a collective society and an individualistic society and that's causing some sort of fraying around the edge where people get left behind I mean what I find when I go to places like Nepal they say so you actually are actually putting your old people into a home away from the family. I <laughs> just see that as completely as that. Yes. And so we've taken a road, um, almost a financial road, where we trade houses with each other. Um, we don't really care that a lot of kids go to school hungry or don't have the right shoes. Um, and that, but the difference is, of course, I deal with this every day because my charity is out there uh, giving free Amigo bars, these nutritional bars to kids, um, and we try and um, help uh, domestic violence. We've got a company called Drupal, which um, provides some um, support to domestic violence people by way of mobile phone apps or wearable devices, which actually wow. get, get some person. You know, uh, I think uh, the media has a role to play in trying to get of society better. Every four minutes in New Zealand, uh, the police will get a call on a domestic violence issue. Um, and uh, we kill one of our kids every five weeks you know, And so on the world stage, we're appalling. Yes. Uh, and, if, and if we talked about it, I think we might be able to get... And business has a role to play in that. Um, so I'd, I'd like to think, see, we've got businesses like um, um, Sam Stump's um, business, which gives um, a proportion of their profits back to charity. Mm-hmm. And if Spark did that and, uh, you know, Vodafone did that, maybe we would have a better society. Absolutely. Um, the, and the, the words that famous people who have quotations, but I can never remember who said it, but I remember the words and it is that you judge a country by the way that it looks after its children. And we're not doing a good job at the moment. So I want to see if I can change that. But it doesn't have to be horrible. It has to be moribond. You know, we can uh, try and make some fun out of all the stuff that's, that's difficult. Because uh, I'm an exemplification of that. You know, I haven't got a chip on my shoulder because of um, what's happened to me in my early stage of my life. I just saw it as a process where... where I proved to myself that I could be dropped down in any country with just a, um, a dollar in my pocket and I could survive. Uh, and so I want to use that resilience to encourage other people to make a difference in the world.
2: I love that. I love that. I just kind of had this realization, and maybe it's just a podcast, you know, whatever, because you got to be careful. Not that you have to be careful, but we have to give ourselves permission to just talk, you know. And I'm aware we've been recorded. Obviously, uh, I try and process that in real time. What does that mean? if? clips live online, especially for you, you know, you're a CERN, you do all these things. So it takes, I think, an incredible amount of bravery. And I do witness that from you when I watch you online, you know, you'll say things and I'm like, uh, I'm like, I wonder, I wonder. So for me, for example, I guess I'm the generation that's that's coming through, which is, do I say something? Do I not? Because if I don't say something, I'm probably suppressing it. You know, you read some of the literature, it says express yourself. But on the other side, we're like, be careful what you say. And so stuck in the middle and uh, am am I correct by just kind of maybe making the assumption that you've got to say something if it's on your mind because you know the importance of suppressing it
0: well there's a a big uh, there's a wonderful cartoon um, that was in the um, um, Guardian newspaper um, that uh, when uh, Hitler, you know, indulged, invaded Poland, and there were these two women, and they were um, on this on their, the cobbles of their street and, and, you know, and, and, uh, in East London, and they had their hairs in nets, and they were uh, like Coronation Street women, and they were standing there having a chat, and the, the, the balloons coming out of the, um, you know, their mouths had basically just said, you know, when Hitler indulged, invaded Poland, I nearly said something. Um, <laughs> And and, and it's exactly the same thing that happened uh, with the concentration camps. If uh, you had a – basically a propaganda machine that made it okay to kill a whole society, uh, and, and until somebody spoke up, nothing changed. Uh, and, and there was a wonderful picture I saw just recently of, and this is how complicated it is, there was a picture at the first Olympics that uh, was in Germany, uh, and all of the British footballers were giving a, a seat salute. And they've been told to do it by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs because it was, you know, that was the culture of the day. But nobody spoke. There was one guy who didn't do it, and he was picked out of the team. And that goes back to what you're saying. There's a danger by speaking out that you will get controlled or or whatever, but the alternative for me is um, um, I'm responsible for that continuing. Mm. Mm. So, I can't stand by and say, what's something happening. You know, like our school lunch programs is a disaster in terms of uh, the quality of the food that you get, they're getting because there's no standards. And mm. it makes sense. We've got standards for seatbelts and bloody cars, but apparently, school lunch is not, not a problem. So, if you don't speak out, you won't get the government to change. I've been lobbying them, I've had emails going backwards and forwards, but eventually, if everybody made enough noise, um, and kids are not eating the foods and, and the stockpiles and the media, of course, have a role in the way that our society works. Um, but Unfortunately, they uh, focus much more on clickbait bait or things like that than, mm. than mean, the meaningful changes. And that's why what you do and what you know, your contemporaries do is important because we kind of um, – set the media aside because we can actually have a communication uh, with a whole bunch of people outside of uh, the media rhetoric um, and make uh, changes by getting, you know, a team of people together and a collegiate. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have people like you who urge it. And there's no um, pure answer to things. Sometimes right. when I just open a discussion, somebody might come up with a different thing. I'm not um, um, in the camp of... Um, Gloria Vale, you know, I think uh, everybody's got their own uh, opinion. And, you know, you're, you've had a completely, and, and I think one shouldn't be blaming people because they don't know mm. that there's a problem. It's, but when they do know, and that's the thing about the, 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 the hip sort of story, when you do know something's gone wrong and then you don't speak out, that's a problem. Mm. A lot Absolutely. of people are. There's, a, there's probably 25% of New Zealanders who have got their batch and going out on the boat, and they're blissfully unaware of the food banks that we're delivering food to. Mm. And those kids uh, that faint before lunchtime because they don't have any food from 4 pm yes. the, the day before. Yes. Um, so, um, the, you know, it's not helpful when the government covers up their domestic, um, uh, sorry, their. Um, their figures for, um, um, you know, child um, obesity and 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 all these other kind of uh, things that we've got,
2: uh, you know. I don't know if it's just by accident, but I seem to be trying really hard to surround myself with people like yourself. Uh, And and so I don't know how all the relationships go, but I'm quite close at the moment with Professor Grant Schofield and he was quite instrumental in um, promoting high fat is not bad for you. It's the sugar. And this was back in the day a little bit. And I I podcasted with him because I'm studying with him now, which is another whole story, you know, but I'll get into that later. It's like, well, go back to study. It'll be good fun. No, it's not (laughs) because I other talk than learn how to read an academic paper. But I'm not here to burden you with that. The point was, as I said to him, Grant, is it frustrating for you that you there's no ticker tape parade when you were right? I saw all the media coming against you saying, you're killing people by telling people to eat how our ancestors did, right? A higher fat diet, low lower carbohydrate. Um, and he said, no, well, that's not the point. Well, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, he said something like, uh there can't be a ticker tape because science is always slow and i just thought to myself oh so your role is to leave breadcrumbs so when we get really lost at least we can find the way back and i think maybe sir it's a bit similar to you you know the, that it's not one condensed sentence that's going to express everything you do but there's a breadcrumb trail um that people can find their way back to some of your ideas right
0: well, I think um, you're right about science being a slow, you know, uh, even with this latest um, COVID um, problem, um, mm. there's been a lot of um, dissent in the scientific community about what really is going on and whether the vaccines are good and so on. Mm. And it, it, it is a, it, you know, it's a bit like um, asbestos, which we put into most schools in the world. We thought that it was a bloody good insulator and we thought it was good. Um, We used to, uh, you know, we didn't know that... Azo dyes used in women's hair care products were carcinogenic until all of the, the the sort of gay hairdressers were getting testicular cancer. And so, what happens in society is that it, it takes a while before adverse things that are bad and ha- unhealthy for us. Um, I mean, if you go back to 1953, there would have been the Marlborough man on a horse smoking, and we were, and you wouldn't see a movie in the 1950s and 60s, but nobody smoking. I mean, exactly. it was the sexiest thing alive. Uh, and of course, we learned in the end uh, that that wasn't a good plot, and of course. I, as a scientist I've always been ahead of the curve in the sense that I I used to sit on a plane uh, one seat back from the uh, smoking zone and think what the fuck <laughs> is going on here because you know, you're peeing in the pool over here and expecting not to go over there awesome. um, so sometimes common sense doesn't prevail in terms of what's going on um, and um, so you know uh, COVID is of course um, is probably for your generation um um, been one of those things where it's changed your society dramatically I mean I came out of the second end of the second world war and we still had the detritus of all of that people still had cans of food and with uh, no labels on them um, mm. which you know they stored and they kept even though the war was over because they have had five years of austerity and um uh, we're in for another round of COVID, and that's going to change our, our, um, our society as well. And, of course, that's what I find fascinating about life is um, that our most primal level, we are um, survivors. And mm-hmm. so as soon as there's a problem like COVID, everybody goes off and fights each other for toilet rolls. Yeah. You know, our, our, our beneficial things go out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think to some degree that's uh, manifest in the way that our society has become even more separated. We've got, um, and we see it now uh, in Parliament with the issues with the Māori, wanting perhaps an independent Māori Parliament uh, when I came to New Zealand in. Uh, 1973. Um, I think in even in those days, um, things were more um, homogeneous. Uh, people communicated better. Well, my lovely story is that I was um, camping by the side of a river um, down in the East Cape, and um, uh, this guy walked past with his kids, and he had a whole lot of fish. And uh, Murray guy, and he said you are you, He said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a scientist. He said, Is that like a doctor? <laughs> and he opened up his chest and he had this huge scar right down his chest where he had, had surgery for his, uh, for his heart. Um, and uh, anyway, we got talking and he said, I'll give you some fish. He gave me this fish and then uh, he it was on the side of an estuary tree and he said, look at those white fellas down there. They're fishing for fish. He said, "But they then know I've got a net across here? <laughs> 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 and I love that kind of... Um, communication, you know, um, uh, that we had that was not, uh, there was no racism in the way that we're seeing this evolving racism. Um, and, um, you know, I think um, we need to start um, you know, working on that as a, as a team of five million as well, that mm-hmm. we are uh, everybody. The wonderful thing that makes, on the positive side, the wonderful thing that makes New Zealand different than the rest of the world is that there wouldn't be anybody here that came from somewhere else and they came on their own whacker, or they came on an aeroplane and that made us different in the sense that we were all adventurous. You know, those people that came out from wherever, we're not quite sure where they came, but they came from somewhere and then they took their wackers here and they landed here. And then uh, in the 60s, we had people in the European communities coming here, but they were all coming here for a better world and a better life. And we should be proud of that. And and that's why it makes us such good innovators, you know. And um, as I say in my talks, we've got three characteristics that make us quite different on the world stage. The First one is we're not fond of rules. You know, we, we, you know, generally we follow rules. We do things like um, pay our taxes on time and drive on the correct side of the road most of the time. Um, But when it comes to, when I'm doing my talks, I'll say to people, to validate this theory that we're not fond of rules. Uh, there's no cameras in the room, but how many people in the room have got a deck or window in their house on extension that they haven't got a uh, permit for? Their hands go up because it's like, it's about a metre, mum, it'll be fucking okay, don't worry about that. So generally we just disregard shit we don't care about. Yeah. Uh, the next thing is that um, we've got no respect for the status quo. Just because we don't know stuff doesn't mean we won't give it a crack. Um, and uh, that, a good example of that is uh, Peter Beck, you know, who had a I first met him years ago when he had a small rocket in a corridor down in a place in Tarnell. and you know now look and that goes into the third characteristic is that we dare to dream we actually dare to dream that we can be uh, bigger Um, you know there's so many inventions that have come out of New Zealand because of all of the combination of all of those things Um, and I think we're in a very good shape from that perspective I just think that the way forward for us as, uh, as a society is to invest a lot more time and effort into innovations that are good for us and our people, rather than just make the existing commercial activities work better. So, you know, you've got companies um, that are working in, um, you know, Zero is a great example. So Zero is a great company in that it made jobs easier for people. Um, to do their taxes and so on. But it didn't necessarily translate into making uh, kids better off or uh, education better or, or whatever. So we put the same sort of innovations into something that made a software program for teaching kids better or for making nutritional products which are more elegant and more less um, impactful on our environment. So uh, we're seeing a big change now in things like um, artificial meat and so on. And, of course, that will have an impact on New Zealand's economy in the future. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be clever to make sure that we can take on the
2: next 50 years with some sort of security yeah yeah um can we stick on nutrition for a bit because it's an area uh, when i say deep dive i don't i'm trying to redefine that you know as someone who comes from videography background and podcaster and stuff i guess my world has been trying to analyze visually but as i've traveled down this um uh, <laughs> this master's journey um, maybe i should just give you a quick update so sure. during COVID i was one of the people who were sitting back thinking whoa what the hell is going on and trying to think positively in terms of well I've got some time with my family and I happen to like my family and love them and we can all hang out together Uh, I thought well I've got a bit extra time so I might as well start looking into things around and I started seeing a conversation to come up around breathing you know that COVID attacks uh, poor respiratory health and and so I was like wow that's interesting so I went back and Traced it right back to, uh, well, effectively, a lot of us breathe through our mouth today, which makes us breathe quicker, which makes us more hyperventilated, which enacts fight or flight. So bad news over time. What's the opposite to that? Slow nasal breathing. I started seeing some interesting articles uh, tying back to my ancestry that, you know, some of the early um, Europeans that came to the Pacific, their nicknames were mouth breathers, you know? Uh, And then, you know, so it kind of took me around a pathway and it really ended up in doing a master's in sport exercise and health so that I can funnel my interests into how do we breathe in a way that lowers our anxiety. But recently, it's taken me a bit further into this micronutrients conversation because I'm starting to think that if you're in fight or flight. You just can't have a conversation about anything else until you get out of that. Um, Then you can talk about how do we plan forward, you know, more a homeostasis zone, if you like. So I'm still thinking and trying to learn rapidly when you talk about nutrition and the um, Amigo bars, did you say Uh, there's, is there a big, um, is there a lot of science in the micronutrients as well? Because I'm fascinated with what happens when you don't have enough of them.
0: Right. Well, it's good. And that was the thesis for the ego bars. What we did, I mean, the first thing you do when you're developing any product is to do a customer statement of need. You do do a determination of customer statement of need. Because if you're making a product nobody wants, then I can mean, make a skateboard that plays Yankee Doodle Dandy every time it goes over a bloody bump, but nobody's going to want it. Um, so what you do, so we did a deep dive and we, the only uh, literature that we could find, meaningful literature, was two um, studies that were done um, nearly 20 years ago in these which looked at the micronutrient um, uh, content of our kids in terms of large groups. There were thousands of kids involved in these studies. And what it showed was um, uh, we had some uh, vitamin and mineral malnutrition problems, uh, particularly around zinc. Now, zinc is the happy hormone uh, precursor. So it's dopamine and all of the things and it gets your synapses working. And there's a direct correlation and this has been done with research internationally, but also with Otago um, um, University saying that there's a direct correlation with things like ADH uh, and mental illness. So there may be a, a link between our high suicide rates and something as simple as zinc malnutrition we know that um, we've got iron deficiency uh, in in our kids. And so what we did was we took the data that we had and we made a theoretical formula which supplemented their normal diet with... A product that's had good micronutrient values and it. We put additional vitamins and minerals in it, and we, it's a, a, a functional food, basically. Um, my background in that area was uh, developing the Keratani infant formula at Douglas Pharmaceuticals. So I had a background in nutrition. We were the first company in the world to put folic acid in um, into the formulas. Now, of course, every infant formula has got a plethora of micronutrients and omega-3 and so on. Um, so the problem is in New Zealand, um, We've got second highest obesity rate in the developed world and second only to Australia, I'm sorry, America. And that's because we've got fast foods. We have more fast food ads on our TV than pretty much any other country in the world. You know. uh, and so we've become, we've normalized it and I find it ironic this is what I find ironic this is why it goes back to setting up businesses that are good for us and our planet so we got McDonald's and of course they, they fund McDonald's house um, but a lot of the problems that come out of um, the need for medical care come out of the foods that they're producing so we've got the highest um, pretty much one of the highest obesity rates right now there are corridors full of people getting infusion therapy for diabetes um, uh, in corridors because our hospitals are overwhelmed um, and it's not a genetic problem it's actually just a clinical problem of eating the wrong the wrong stuff Um, so and it's easy to find it's interesting you can find uh, funding for products that uh, high uh, risk products like sh- sugar like, like cookies people love cookies you know sorry about that, said, That's I'm right.
2: getting that I'm yeah. you can take it if you need it
0: no no I don't need to take it it's just I get rid of it there <laughs> uh, we go um, so the um the issue with there was that we came up with a product that theoretically should supplement kids. I mean, we, we accepted infant formula in the sense that if you couldn't feed, breastfeed your baby, you gave it an infant formula. And what we were saying was you can't get school lunches to kids in Kytaya, but you can get an Amigo Bar. And they're totally uh, transportable. They've got a two-year shelf life and they contain, you could live off them, basically. Uh, and what we did with them was we looked at not only just the micro-ingredients but the macro-ingredients. So we put um, things in it that would produce better gut health and we got rid of all the fat and the stuff that was the bad fats. Fat is not a bad thing, uh, but, but there are bad fats. So we, is good for energy, so we had the right fats in it. Um, and so we came up with something that theoretically uh, and the kids loved it, that was the other thing. The other thing we did was we, uh, but unlike the school lunches where the kids were just throwing stuff, uh, we went out and did surveys through the schools and they chose the, not only did they choose the flavors that they liked, uh, they they chose from 50 theoretical flavors, we got that down to 10 and then we trialed those flavors and saw which ones they all liked. It's quite surprising, you know, I, I, I would have thought they'd like certain ones but they liked all these quite different ones. So we did that, we got that right, but then we got them to actually design all of the logos and all of the happy faces because so, I did a design that was basically a little happy face and a angry face and um, what happened was I went to them and I said, look, this is showing um, from poor nutrition to good nutrition, you know, that you've got this face which is all, you know, um, a angry face and a and, and i want to be able to show you that basically when you have this thing it'll it'll make you um you know better off and they said well it, it's, it's much more simple than that you're just turning kangaroo faces into happy faces and they came up with that branding idea um and so we also have a a, a board an advisory board with the average age i think it's about um, i don't know about 15 and the interesting thing for me which you all love is that they're much i love kids because they're like a bumblebee, they just don't know they can't fly. So they're just safe shit. They just shit. They just, they just give it to you. And I remember one of the kids was saying, s uh, they're saying, but well, we need to sort out the packaging to make sure it's as environmentally friendly as we can. He said, You know, Ray, my school has just ripped up all the turf and put down astro turf. And none of those guys have actually done the cradle for the grave analysis about what the environment impacts and and they haven't got a building permit. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they've got this passion for wanting a better world and that's why we see uh, the young woman who stands stood up to the United Nations and people and told everybody off for environment issues. And so I, I'm passionate about one of the things I want to leave behind is... Um, to encourage those kids to dream really, really big. So I spend a lot of time with kids and I'm off to a conference uh, in a couple of weeks, um, a Big Brother conference where uh, it really goes full circle. Um, so I'm helping those guys because somebody helped me get out from underneath the railway bridge. And if I can do that with as many little kids as I can and say, you do not defined by what you are or whether you've got no shoes on. You, know, you can actually change the world if you... Just get up in the morning and say that's what I want to do, and don't listen to uh, the naysayers. And again, that goes back to speak up. Um, I, if, if, you, uh, if nobody speaks up, then the status quo doesn't change, and you put a lot of people in the gas chamber because it's been normalised. Mm. But what we need to do is to say no, um, even if you're wrong. It's not gonna um, change the world in a bad way because all it does is to put up, when we're working in a scientific environment, what you do is you come up with theories and some of those theories are wrong. And, and that's the other thing we need to get around. Why we have so many teen suicides and why we have so much domestic violence and why some of our kids are bullied at school, is because um, we, if we, we think that failure is, is a bad thing, you know, we think that if you failed at something, um, then you're a loser. Um, or if you're different in any way, that you're a loser. And so uh, failure is just a cul-de-sac on the way to success for successful people. And it's the same in science. We do something the experiment doesn't work. You know, um, um, you know, one particular inventor used to say, you know, I've tried 4,700 ways of um, uh, get trying to get something to work. And so there's a lot of things that I know don't work, you know, <laughs> you know? and so that leads you to where you, you need to go. So speaking out and then somebody uh, knocks you down uh, is okay because you learn from that. Say, mm. well, I was wrong. You know, I, no, my theory was wrong. Mm. Um, but it shouldn't. But if you don't speak out, then nothing happens. Yes. Uh, and, and so we need to distill um What's valuable in our society. Um, and I want to get back to those basic things with the Murray guy on the side of the river and say, we're all a family. Uh, he'll give me some free fish and I'll give him some knowledge
2: about medicines these days Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll have a giggle about the net up the river. I think yeah, that's definitely. that's the bit we're, we're forgetting, right? That's actually what connected you is just a small conversation. It's like these campfire conversations. I try to have that spirit in this, you know, where we're just talking and we're. Trying Trying to release ourselves from whatever this constraint is, uh, Ray. A couple more questions, and then um, obviously you got other things to do. Sure. Um, uh, you know, I guess the temptation is in podcasts and social media content that we ask people to break down habits and strategies and stuff like that. And actually, the one I want to ask you, if you're okay, you mentioned being under the railway bridge. Uh, yep. Was there a strategy that kept you hopeful? Like, what do you do when you're in that scenario? Like, was there mindsets, or you know, why not give up? I guess is my question. What was going through your mind or body?
0: Well, I think that the, the for me, when I got under the railway bridge, I was now free. I mean, it was free. Nobody was going to be coming into my bedroom late at night doing terrible things to me. So, yes. I, so for me, that was actually a, a positive stage and I would go off to the library every day and read the and try to Britannica, which is like Google of the day, and learn stuff. I was um, taking batteries um, uh, from the, the, the roadside rescue and turning them into generators for my lights at night uh, with a cycle um, dynamo. Um, so I was learning about life. So I, I didn't really feel under the railway breach. I think um, in I think going back to what were the most challenging times with being in orphanages and knowing that you were at risk um the only thing that i learned to do was to mitigate the risks that i was in and that really just made me run away so it's like catch 22 i'll just run away uh, and i'll run away for a week or a day or but i would have this strategy of getting making sure i had a backpack with all the stuff in it i needed to be able to survive on the streets uh, and i took that stuff with me so my plan uh, you know, I, I I never thought about. I mean, my um, I, I I've always had a kind of ten-year plan, you know. And so my ten-year plan under the Railway Bridge started off with I'd like to own my own bicycle shop because I was taking bikes from the tip, putting them on the train, and bringing them back to my place under the Railway Bridge, refurbishing them, taking them back to school, and getting the, um, the kids to like a black market bicycle stuff, you know. Um, so. Um, that's a, a courier. I think I better go and get that. Yeah,
2: was, to... Absolutely, <laughs> <Kill yeah. off>. <laughs> sweet is. <laughs> oh, that's okay. It's
0: taken care of. It. That's not true. Okay. Oh. So, um, so I was always, um, uh, you know, I guess optimistic about. Um, life. Um, so my first plan was to, you know, have, have a bicycle shop and then to be loved by as many women as possible because that would make me happy. Uh, and then, of course, that didn't work out. So then I went on to the next thing. And I think uh, my life has been a series of those 10-year events. I mean, I've always been um, very much involved in a um, thing like thing I call failure mode cause risk analysis. I invite everybody to go through that and it's really what can go wrong. You know, and that's why I didn't get married until I was, you know, 50 years old. Um, because I'd been on the other side of it and realized that relationships could often be changed by circumstances or whatever. And also, to be fair, I didn't trust myself. You know, because I, you know, I love beautiful women and, and whatever. And and now, thankfully, I've got three women in my life, and um, and uh, they're they're all gorgeous. Um, I, you know, I never thought I'd have children because of what happened to me as a kid. But my my daughters are just um, fabulous. Um, they're just um, uh, and they teach me stuff too. You know, uh, that I didn't know. I, uh, sometimes I would have come back from overseas. Um, uh, spending weeks away from my kids, and they would um, run to me and just hug me and say, hello, Daddy. And what they didn't know was that's all I ever wanted as a kid, to be loved and to be cared for. And so it, it was a real success for me to find that. And what I want for them is to make sure that they... Don't experience anything like I did, and I'm sure that's the same for you. That you absolutely after your kids and make sure that they have a good environment. And it's great that you're learning um, all the stuff about nutrition and so on. So again, because it may be that ten years from now you're a different person than you are now. And the good news for you is that you've got—I oh, don't know how many days. I know that I've probably got about four thousand five hundred days left to live. That's all. Mm. You know, I, I, and that's another way of seeing the world is that um, you're all going to die. So you might as well try and leave Something behind, and so I live every day like it's the last day of my life uh, with great excitement and and great um, passion. Um, And I'm so blessed to, in my environment, be surrounded by so many creative people who want to make a difference in in the world. You know, they're not just corporates who want to go and play golf and settle down, and then they're people who are actually doing things, whether it be the people we work with at the halfway houses, the women we work with, domestic violence, Um, and these are uh, nurses. Um, that we work with which are doing really great work Um, and we work in a number of countries of course you know uh, and and when we're talking about places like Nepal and India which are in the grips of this this terrible problem. um, I'm proud of the work that we've done in those countries many of the people that I've taught have gone on to work for multinational companies to turn their life around so um, you know if 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 tomorrow was the last day I would have had a hell of a ride in life
2: (laughs) absolutely absolutely look we're going to wrap it there because well I've got a million more questions and I just want to resist bombarding you I'm I'm thankful for your time and hearing a bit about your journey and hopefully um, our paths cross again and we can do another round down the future
0: Good luck with your with your family and your life. Take care. Namaste.
1: I could crumble into pieces, but I got a million reasons why I won't. Because this heavy is a season, and the sun is always right behind the storm.